Welcome to Deep Drinks Podcast, where the drinks are deep and the conversations are deeper. What does the Bible really say about gender, sexuality, and marriage? From the surface understanding, this may seem like a trivial question. Dive a little deeper, and you may be surprised with what you find. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Dr. Jennifer Bird, who is a New Testament Bible scholar, educator, author, and I like to to describe her as a human rights advocate. Her work often ruffles the feathers of many fundamentalists, not because her ideas are wild or unfounded, but because she approaches her scholarship as a thinking, feeling human. Her work is known world over, with reviewers thanking her for her honesty, objectivity, and illumination of difficult concepts within the Bible. Dr. Jennifer Bird is an educator of over 20 years with a Master's of Divinity from Princeton Theological Seminary and a PhD in New Testament and Early Christianity from Vanderbilt University. She has quickly become one of my favorite Christian authors and has introduced me to what is now one of my favorite quotes, which is a paraphrase from Aristotle, that is, it is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain an idea without accepting it. I hope we can all absorb this advice Welcome, Dr. Jennifer Bird. Hello, David. Thank you for having me. That was such a lovely intro. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I, I try to I try to do my guests uh, honor my guests in the introduction, and yeah. I think um I think there's more that could be said about you, but I, I want to keep it kind of short. But That's it's great. um, I've I've only like I only ran in like met you and kind <laughs> of like learned about your work through um. Derek and yeah. Dr. Josh. The panel East we're doing Alex. next week. Yeah. 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 It's been so, fun for me to be a part of all of this and also to get uh, to meet you. Um, just really appreciate where you're coming from and what you bring to the conversations. So, yeah, well, I'm kind of the, um, like, it's funny. We're in, we're all in a group chat and you guys are all like scholars and I'm there like, <laughs> like just saying like silly things and um no one cares <laughs> just, well, and you guys I... are all talking talking about stuff and i'm like and i'll just like throw like a little witticism out witticism out there and everyone's just like okay and then just kind of gets no it, but it is i do feel badly because in like scholarly or intellectual humor can be kind of odd you know yeah inside joke kind of anyway yeah, yeah but... I, I try and get i'm trying to get people to, like i try and i try and there's this with me there's like a point where people go, all right, Dave's weird. Like they're like, Dave's weird, he's a weird guy. But then eventually like it, it crosses over and like, okay, he's funny as well. Yes, because he's yes. saying funny things now. Um, so what are we drinking uh, today? Um, I, I, coffee. I'm a strong, dark coffee yeah. person. I do put a little sugar and cream in there, half and half. I don't know about, what's your, what's your way to drink coffee, uh, David? Uh, I'm just like, well, normally I do an iced coffee. So I just, mm-hmm. but it's just instant. So I just throw instant in there, okay. ice, and then, um, and then like add, uh, uh, hot water and then add, um, soy milk or oat milk or something like that. Yeah, um, nice. is, is what was what I like to do. Okay. Um, I, I I wouldn't normally do this, but we've just guys. I just want to also shout out. We've just been monetized, which was something that we did. We pushed very hard to get monetized so that we could, um, uh, so we could get super chats during the slavery panel, which is coming up. And we just had our first super chat, so I had to um, like shout out to Chat GDP. Yes, um, and I love thank the you for standing up. 
for LGBT people, Dr. Bird. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so you you are the first super chat I've ever received. So thank How you exciting. so much. Yeah. That's very exciting. So um so how would you like me uh, how would you like me to refer to you Dr. Jennifer Bird Jennifer how like how Jen or Jennifer works for me okay. I appreciate Jen, your okay. respectfulness but yeah Jennifer no uh, so Jennifer tell us about going on dates with Jesus <laughs> <laughs> I do pull back from the microphone when I laugh because I have a really Yeah laugh. yeah um no so do I do as well Yeah right right uh that is funny that you opened with that so yes I had a very conservative, like fundamentalist swing, uh, much to my family's, you know, sugar, whatever they, they tell, I think they just kind of put up with me or whatever. But um, yeah, I thought of myself as dating Jesus when I was in college, especially my first couple of years. I remember going to the, this donut shop that I just loved, you know, uh, freshman, first and second year college. And I just go get a couple donuts and a cup of coffee and I just hang out in a booth and I would reflect on, you know, it was almost like having a devotional or a quiet time or whatever, if that language means anything to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, you know, converse with Jesus in my mind, you know, and mm. <laughs> no, I know, I know what you mean. It just, it sounds funny to say dating, dating Jesus. So was it like a, a thing that you and like your, your other Christian friends, like you would all do separately? Like it was like a thing. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. I was kind of a superstar because I would do that. Like others would like think that was impressive that I would, but they didn't have like the courage or whatever to actually go do, think about it that way or whatever, whatever. I'm, yeah. I'm being silly, but yeah, we did. I had, I had friends who thought of it that way. And, um, you know, the whole nine yards that goes along with a very conservative, uh, fundamentalist kind of a evangelical community, mm. you know, no kissing until you're married, that kind of thing. Like kissing yeah, for the wow. first time on your wedding day in front of everybody. Yeah. How weird is that? You know, but people do Yeah, it. that would be, that would be, yeah, that would be bizarre. I, right? I mean, I know some, I know people who did it as well in, in the church, um, uh -huh. mm -hmm. but there's, um, I, I remember, I remember when I first, so uh, I mentioned beforehand, I used to be a, a Christian a Pentecostal youth pastor, and now I'm no longer a Christian, but I try to be, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We did the speaking in tongues, all the good stuff. Um, yeah. But one of the things that um, I remember listening to worship music when I first became a Christian, and it was, you know, Jesus, we love you and, and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, that's cool. But there was this one song that was by Planet Shakers that was like, it says like, uh, Jesus, I'm in love with you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, the in love. And I was like, and I remember drive, I was riding my push bike to work at the supermarket. Nice. nice. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, that's too far. I was like, that's in love with Jesus, Jesus that feels too far. Too far. <laughs> but then, sure enough, give me a few more months in the church, and I was like, "I'm in love with you, Jesus." Like it became like I totally flipped my script on that. It was a, it was a yeah cool thing, yeah yeah. Which is which you know that raises all these other thoughts for me or other topics or you know like the whole issue of the way the church over the centuries has talked about. Um, romantic or intimate relationships and what's allowed and what's not, you know, I mean, to have a male saying he's in love with Jesus, right? I mean, that that's a conversation <laughs> yeah. to have, yeah. right? Yeah. So, um, so you went from having um, coffees with, with Jesus and to being <laughs> against women ordination, right? Um, 
Uh, can you, so, so you went from that to what, what you're doing today, which you're definitely the authority in this conversation, let me tell you. Um, mm. So, you know, so you have definitely have authority over me in this situation. So how did you go from being against women ordination uh, mm. and not liking women pastors, that, that concept, to moving to how you think today? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I should, I should also note that I grew up in the United Methodist Church and in our area, there are plenty of women who are associate pastors at least, and now more and more head pastors as well. But even growing up, I had two of my favorite people and I'm still in touch with them actually, just reconnected with them last year, were the, the female associate pastors, you know, in these churches. And they were, mm. you know, so as a growing up, you know, even as a young teenager, I, you know, I loved them and I had no trouble with it. And it was when I started reading the Bible much more, I'm going to put in air quotes literally because um, sometimes people think they're reading these stories literally and they're actually reading them metaphorically or spiritually. And so relatively mm -hmm. speaking, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a whole conversation there, but relatively speaking, it was much more literal taking it, you know, kind of at face value and God's word gets, has to trump everything else. So that's how yeah. I got, I went from being a member of a Methodist church to saying, no, no, I actually am not okay with these things. Um, even on my mother's ordination day, um, she was ordained in, I think in her fifties, um, early fifties. Yeah. And on her ordination day, I, you know, asked her how she could do this because it's against God's will, you know? Um, yeah. And then, yes, and then now I'm kind of at the opposite end of the spectrum, if you will. And how did I go from there to where I am? Primarily intellectual integrity. Mm. Yeah. And that's it. Like, like, I went to seminary because I wanted to learn biblical languages. And the reason I wanted to do that was someone had shown me that they were working with the the Greek in the Mary Martha story, for anyone who's familiar with that story. And they, and she she changed the way she kind of interpreted what he says to mm. Martha. And it rocked my work, like in one of the most dramatic way, it's one of the most dramatic moments of my life actually was having this, this paper that was showing me something different. And I was like, if this one thing attributed to Jesus can be translated differently because you know, the languages I want in on that, <laughs> like yeah. what else am yeah. I missing? Right. What else could I, and the scripture was important to me. And so that's, you know, I went to seminary to learn the languages and then I didn't know I was going to be exposed to all the other stuff, the church history and where the theology came from and the development of it all. And, you know, I probably wouldn't have gone if I'd known what I was going to be exposed to. <laughs> yeah. I had, yeah. I know, yeah. I, know what, I know what you mean. Do you know what I, I know mean? What you mean. Yeah. I, I, um, it's, it's funny because I, I can see a lot of, uh, a lot of similarities in in your journey to my journey. When I was reading mm -hmm. your book, I, I saw that I I was a bit the same. Um, obviously, mine led me in very different direction to you to yours. Sure, the end. yeah. But which is fine. I, I'm not yeah. judging anyone, and you, I hope you're not judging me. But no. But the, what's interesting is like I I remember thinking to myself, <laughs> um, like learning about like uh, science and learning about fossils and the fossil record and evolution and things like that uh, when I was you know looking into things. And I remember thinking to myself if I can pick up and hold like a fossil and we, I can dig it from a part on the earth that, you know, that it's only in that layer of the, the shouldn't that be more like if, if, if that's God's creation, shouldn't that be 
above the the words of God that were that were translated through man. Like that's the direct that's God's direct creation. So <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. It's handiwork. Yeah. 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 So it's like it's his handiwork. Like so so shouldn't that be and this was my early early years, but I'm like I was like, shouldn't the earth be better evidence? Um yeah. like shouldn't that be more that's like more that's like first first uh what's the, the first, first degree um, of yeah first degree evidence where like yeah. the bible is translated through men so it's second degree it's like yeah. a testimony right right right. so i was like well, why wouldn't we take what we see in science and then use that to inform our perspective on the bible um and um yeah mm. i mean there are people who do that and I, I always point to to christians who like if someone's struggling with their faith and they don't want to struggle with their faith i i will often point them to michael jones or there's a lot of organizations on the um on the, on the internet that try and marry up the theory of evolution with um with um the bible and things like that mm -hmm. um what are your thoughts around hmm. that whole concept where science and and the literal translation of noah uh the magical zoo boat um <laughs> the magical zoo boat i like that well you know i, I hope you know i hope that wasn't offensive sorry oh you're not gonna offend me trust me uh, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> appreciate the sensitivity but um <laughs> no i actually wrote uh about 10 years ago or so i had an entry to get um to have like a bit of a platform with huffington post uh back when mm -hmm. it was still kind of a little more interesting before before she left um okay and I wrote, I wrote a piece actually after watching a debate between, um, is it Ken Ham and Bill Nye, the science oh, guy? And that was yeah. that was the thing that that got me questioning everything. Did it? Yeah. Oh, mm, nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well. Yeah. You know, I wrote a piece the next day, and I was like, evolution is never going to convince a creationist because you're not having the conversation in a way that both members of the conversation can hear, and. You know, I I feel like when you just say this is wrong or this is dumb, even to you know to someone who says I need a creationist view of the world because that's what works for me and that's what I believe, like you you can't just come at that. You have to have a conversation about how to consider these things differently. Um, mm. And I so you know I I think that it's. From where I am now, I think it's really fun that I can look at the first creation story and say, huh, <laughs> that generally follows the order of evolution. Like, that's pretty cool, right? Like, that's mm. how, you know, I look at it that, that way. Or I like it when, you know, somebody's written some sort of story to try to explain some sort of natural phenomena, you know, like the rainbow story and part of the floods stories. And, you know, that's my engagement with science and the Bible is they're not trying to do the same things. They weren't trying mm. to actually explain in the way that we mean that, right? Mm. They were explaining in the best way they knew how at the time. And gosh, aren't these myths fun? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. I, I don't know how much you um, have, uh, I mean, with all the reading you do, I don't know how you do anything to be honest. Um, but with like, I don't know how much you know about like other religions of the world, like um, Hinduism or uh, or creation stories from uh, other mm -hmm. kind of concepts. But it's it's um, I mean I I've only read the I've only read a small little bit of literature there. But it's it's really interesting to me that for me religion has become so much more uh, impressive 
now that I view it the way that I do, which is I view it, I view religion as like man's earliest attempts at trying to understand the cosmos. Exactly. So it's like it's like a it's like a, the battle cry of humanity. It's like the it's like the this is where we're at. This is what we're how we perceive things. And <laughs> when I look across cultures, you can kind of see how like ideas kind of develop um, in, <laughs> within the culture of the time. And it's fascinating to me. I really love religion. Like I've become a lover mm, of religion. That is um, fascinating, actually. Yeah. Mm. I are you familiar with? There's a. I used to. I used to use the, there's a website called the big myth. Um, <clears throat> when uh, I used to get to, yeah, when I used to get to do just one Testament, uh, in a, an intro to just one of the Testaments, um, but it has, they've evolved over the years, but that website has quite a few creation stories from around the world. And it, and it's really lovely because it points to, well, yes, there might be a creation story for people in Australia that includes, kangaroos you know or yeah. <laughs> new zealand's yeah. might include tsunamis or some you know like you know uh inuit people might include you know polar bears and things like that issues that they dealt with you know and that might be included in their creation story and and very much to your point about the cultural context is important the geopolitical context and yeah so i don't know to be honest, I'm not well versed on a lot of the different um, creation stories or early myths, but I do have a general sense. I do teach intro to world religions. Um, and that's, again, that's very kind of surfacey. I don't get to dive too deep with that. Yeah. 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 Um, have you read uh, Have you read the Bhagavad Gita before? I have. I have. Yeah. Just once, and then I read through parts of it with with students when I get to do yeah. it in person. Yeah. What What's your take on it? Well, I was just going to say, and I'm about to read out Gnostic Informant's comment, but um, when we were we were talking about this the other day, where we were talking about the Bhagavad Gita, I remember reading it poolside, drunk in Bali. My <laughs> wife was next to me, you know, where, where and there's like techno techno blaring, and it's like okay. a pool party on this rooftop, and I've got this. Got these headphones and I'm listening to the Bhagavad Gita and chapter nine hit and I was like, whoa! Chapter nine's like—is that where he reveals I, himself? It's uh, it's the it's the part that's like I am the flame. Yes, and yes, yes. Wood yeah. That's consumed. Yes. And I was just like, whoa! This feels like something out of Isaiah or something. Exactly, it does. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I was blown away, and it gave me that same feeling I get when I when I read the Bible, which is the same. You know, I get those those feelings of warmth and stuff like that. <sighs> Not all the Bible. Uh -huh. Not all, not all the Quran or anything. Like there's some parts like that we'll be going over in our slavery panel that I that I definitely have very different emotions for. But it's interesting how these. Huh. For me, I can be. I'm. I'm. I don't have any belief in a god, but I. I still have these strong, warm feelings towards. Um, yeah. That, but it's more from a human perspective. It's more from like I love. Mm -hmm. I love that humanity is kind of. This is humanity's like. Like uh, I don't know how to describe it. I need to go learn some poetry and write I, it down but yeah well maybe but but i hear what you're saying right that you resonate with other humans attempts to put voice to put words yeah. to these experiences right mm. and sometimes you do need some sort of psychedelic language to, to to describe whatever i don't have too many of those experiences just to be honest but um <laughs> but it would be interesting we should do a whole other um whole other conversation <laughs> about psychedelics Deep, we, we both drink ayahuasca as the... Uh, right? Wouldn't that be fun? Oh, my gosh. Uh, watch us have a panic attack for six hours. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so uh Gnostic Informant um asked a question. Thank you so much for the super chat. Um completely normal in the Greek world uh was the concept of teacher-student relationship that was known as beloved, which often uh times involves same-sex relationships. Do you think John's beloved disciples show any resemblance? Somebody put Spicy him up to question. that because yeah. I did a whole thing with him on that. So <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> that was nice of him to, you know, plant the, put the hook in there. I do. So, yeah. yeah. No, I think. Um, wow. I know. There's a. Okay. So this is where all the fundamentalists turn off the stream. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't approach that very well, did I? So here's the thing. There's, <laughs> I, um, one of my colleagues who recently di died a few years ago, but his name is Theodore Jennings and, um, New Testament scholar, and he did. He wrote a book called The Man Jesus Loved, um, Homoerotic Narratives in the New Testament. And wow. Yeah, yeah. So Wow, 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 wow. Yeah. And that I have feels to, blasphemous even to say. Doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I have to say, I bring this into the book I've just wrapped up recently that I'm is now in my uh, publisher's hands, but the book I've recently written is on marriage in the Bible. Um, what do the texts actually say about it? Or what do the texts say? Um, but when I first read the, Ted's work, you know, where he walks through essentially and shows us how John's gospel, I should say, he wears the lenses of the lover beloved relationship and he shows us how several of the passages line up and actually make help me make more sense of them when I look at them through this lens. Doesn't mean that's the way you have to read it all, but it made so much more sense to me that way. And when I first read it, I was already like, you know, PhD, I'm an ally, an LGBTQ ally. I'm working on my heteronormative, like freight, like wiring in my head, you know, working on my racist wiring, like trying to take it all apart. You know, like I'm very mm -hmm. conscious of all these elements. But even like, as I read that, I was like, Jesus couldn't have sex with a man. Like, like the initial yeah. things running through my head. And, yeah. You know, which just says all these different things about the, the associations we have with Jesus. If Jesus was actually God, he couldn't have had sex, much less with a man. With a man, um, yeah. It's, um, it, that's, I, um, it feels blasphemous for me to even link it, even though I'm, I don't know how to link, <laughs> but, but I, I linked, I linked the book, I linked the book in the description. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I think, um, I'm not normally like this. I think talking to you and knowing that you're a, you know, you're a strong, christian and and a phd i'm i'm trying to be super respectful and i think that's like rubbing off on me and i'm being more uh, i'm normally i'm normally a little spicier when it comes to like questions about god and stuff so um if this is the first time watching know that i'm not always um uh feeling yeah i mean there was one stream where i was like speaking and doing a speaking in tongues off with someone so that was that was you know wild um that felt yeah. blasphemous as well anyway <laughs> so yeah so 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 i mean obviously that's not that concept that Jesus was in a homosexual relationship was is not probably um, the consensus perspective. Uh, no, it's not. But let me clarify also, and this is uh, this is what it it kind of gets interesting, right? One of the one of the things going on from my perspective as a biblical scholar, not set aside whatever my personal beliefs are on this, as a biblical scholar, it's important for to me to note that. 
what they were doing was they were not, the gospel writers were not trying to tell history. They were trying to present um, a depiction of Jesus or we sometimes talk, I sometimes talk about it as trying to craft or create an essence of Jesus that they're trying to convince others of. And this is why actually we should read them separately instead of trying to blend them together. Like you know, Matthew says this and Mark says that and connecting it like, no, 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 stop doing that. Um, but it's in particular, when you look at John, because it is so different from the first three and we do tend to talk about them separately, but in academic circles, but John's is the only one that makes it very, very clear that Jesus is God, blah, blah, blah. John is writing for a Greek audience. And there are a lot of reasons, a lot of pieces we can point to. My favorite one is the opening scene where it's very much describing kind of that <clears throat> Neoplatonic creation story, um, the Logos, that's the emanations of the Logos, the overflow of the Logos is what uh, is what is used to create all of the world. That's the Greek idea. And that is now being applied to Jesus in the opening scene of John. So we have, it's very clear that they're trying to appeal to a Greek audience. And this particular element of the lover-beloved relationship, um, whether it's teacher-student, you know, as, um, oh my God, I'm spacing his first name right now, um, as Gnostic informant um, suggests. Uh, Neil. Yeah. Neil, thank you. I was like, why can't yeah. I? Um, yeah. Whether it's teacher-student or kind of older man, younger man in community, um, but that relationship was acknowledged and was part of the fabric, right? Mm. And so to show Jesus having a beloved, to, in, to show that, that, that he was in that kind of a relationship makes sense for the audience he's trying, the, the author of John's Gospel is trying to reach. It doesn't mean that historically Jesus actually had a male lover. It just means that mm. somebody wanted wanted this character Jesus to appeal to a whole bunch of Greek men. And so that's mm. one of the ways you're going to do it is put this element in there. Um, that comment that I've just made is also scary to people. And I get that, right? Like, what do you mean? He made some stuff up, you know, like, mm. yeah, that's kind of what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can feel, I can feel uh, so many people have turned off on it. So many Christians like, no, Nope, I'm out of here. They'll yeah. come back in a few years. That um, human so, element is hard to, yeah. A hundred percent. So you're you're a huge um, LGBT ally, but what I love about your book is you don't come out and say, um, uh, like, God loves gays, get over it. You you essentially right. you ask that you use the Socratic method all through the book. You're constantly asking the audience to think about. Well, what are your thoughts on this before we go into it? And then now that we've gone into this 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 um topic, what are your thoughts now? And do you think this is fair, or do you think this is makes sense? Or um, I remember, uh, you know, I used to go see a psychologist, and and he when I was a Christian, and he would say, "Would a loving God really do that?" And I'm like, "Well," and I'm like, "Well, you don't really know," you know. Like, I remember saying, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, like, "I'm like, I'm like, it's hard." I'm like, "It's hard because you don't really know," you know. You're like, but but one of the things that one of the parts for me. Um, when I was deconstructing and, and he might even be watching it now, um, this, this, this stream right now, but, um, if he is Colin comment, but the first guest I ever interviewed on deep drinks was one of my dearest friends who I met in ministry college, who was closeted for 45 years. So he, 
you know, and he tried to pray the gay away, he tried to do do all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and and as I was kind of deconstructing, he was kind of trying to go through the Bible and trying to find answers to all this stuff mm-hmm. and um, and dealing with it. it. Eventually got to the point where, you know, he was having, you know, conversations with pastors and stuff and it got to the point where they're like, yeah, let's let's honestly look at this. We might be able to find, they might homosexuality might be okay. And then it would get to a point where he's like, well, this looks like ambiguous. And then they're like, yeah, well, we have to trust the scribes knew what they were doing. And that, and that, that was like the, the end all. So anyway, um, but I remember thinking to myself personally, like, what if the church throws away this doctrine like they did with women's having to wear uh, headscarves when they pray? Or what if they throw away the doctrine, this doctrine like they did with, you know, there's lots of stuff the church has changed their mind on. Or like slavery. They don't... Yeah, yeah, slavery, <laughs> right? Just for what? I was, I was like, so what if, what if that happens? I was like, and you've just wasted your entire life, you know, and he had really bad anxiety and depression and stuff. And now mm-hmm. I can say that he's in a happy long-term relationship of a couple of years and happy um, for him. <laughs> yeah. So, so can you go into a little bit about like, how did, I mean, I imagine that at the start, um, you, you probably didn't hold the perspective that gay was okay or whatever. How did that develop? Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I um, my this is going to sound like a tangent, but I promise it's related. Uh, yeah, my parents made sure that my brothers and I got to be exposed to theater, live theater, growing up, and I am so grateful for that. What that means is I was around a lot of actors, and I even ended up working at the theater um, for a summer. And so I remember like interacting with these people who were, you know. T- two men, they're couples and, you know, this guy hits on me and they're like, you know, he's, he's straight when he's sober and gay when he's drunk, you know, like all these random conversations. So like, I loved, loved all these people, but I knew, but I still had a theological idea that said that that wasn't right, but I didn't know how to, and, but nobody was asking me to reconcile that. So mm. yes, when I went to seminary, I had lots of, lots of meals with a friend of mine whose brother was, was gay and, just trying to like work it out for myself, you know? And again, it's really about coming back to your point a little bit. um, It's really about human realities actually need to have a stronger voice in this conversation, Jen, than just what the Bible says, you know, like Mm -hmm. you can't, it doesn't, human realities and experiences far exceed what is contained in the Bible. And so they Mm. need to be taken into consideration. And so that's kind, I mean, very slowly, you know, like I have all these friends who are, you know, closeted or semi out or, you know, and so I had, you know, I had time to slowly work it out for myself. And as Mm. compared to this issue with women and leadership for me was much more pressing. Um, Mm. But then in 2012, I was in a situation where, you know, the there was a conversation at the state level about marriage um, and whether or not and, and there was an it was there was a vote, a constitutional vote that was going to essentially define marriage as between a man and a woman uh, within the state constitution. And so that's what got me invested in actually mm-hmm. trying to talk about it and to write a little bit more publicly as a public scholar, which is a funny label, but. I, you know, I just think that there's a lot of misunderstanding about what the Bible does and doesn't say on this particular topic. And mm. I 
have found, as you noted it, um, about my book, Permission Granted, I have found it, it's a lot more, it's a lot easier to have a conversation when you're asking questions and mm -hmm. asking people what they're thinking and trying to kind of meet in the middle, you know, as compared to telling someone that they're, that they're cruel because they don't love, you know, like it doesn't, yeah. that doesn't get very far. And, and I think, it, yeah, and I think that's that's the point is like, and you've got to be able to, you've got to go into the conversation being willing to change your mind as well. Like that's like, and that's really hard to do. And I think that's why a lot of people don't do it is because you've got to, people can can kind of see if you're trying to, kind of, I guess, be dishonest and like mislead, mislead Absolutely. them. Absolutely. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. So if you, if you, but if you come into it, like, I like to approach conversations, like hard conversations with people as if um, we're both detectives trying to work out the problem. Like, and I go, well, what about this issue here? And, you know, and I think that's like a really, and that's what you do in your book. And just to shout out your book, um, <laughs> people go listen to it on Audible. That's the first thing. It's got Aww. one five-star review, which is me. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> I, I, I cannot um, stress how much it, it bothered me that there's not more reviews on this. On, <laughs> the production value is great. The Everything oh, is, is fantastic. It was such a good. Um, you read it perfectly because obviously you're the author, but it's it's fantastic. And if you want to purchase the actual um, hardcover book, uh, which I'll be doing, um, <laughs> I'm going to be spending all my pocket money on the autograph version. So um, because I just I needed to write something sassy in there, like Dr. Josh wrote something sassy in his um, <laughs> me, so. um, and of course um it's a good time to shit out your um your website so you have a new podcast coming up I do um, we have we have our fourth episode was just released um i haven't yeah i haven't listed them here i just put the link to yeah, our wild olive well. yeah yeah awesome yeah and of course fun. of co course your youtube channel everyone go mm -hmm. subscribe it's dr jennifer bird she's got amazing content um you know, even as a, as a non-Christian, it's really good to kind of look at this stuff and, and see like the theolo theological approach that you can take. Um, if you do run into a bigot in the street, you can point them to, to um, uh, Dr. Jennifer Bird's channel, of Thank course. You for that. Um, and just quickly, a self-plug for myself. Yeah. We have a Deep Drinks, Deep Drinks uh, <laughs> Patreon page, and we the first 12 people that sign up for it will be getting canonized as the first 12 disciples of Deep Drinks. I love um, that. So, so yeah, so we have uh, we have Godless Engineer and Cheryl, and doesn't matter if you know if you need to pause your membership membership or stop it or whatever, doesn't matter. You'll always be immortalized as uh, canonized <laughs> into the thing. And uh, yeah, we have different different sex. So. Check that out if you can support this channel. And of course, next week we have, uh, not next week, sorry. I'm doing more and more episodes. People people should note this. I'm, I'm pushing really hard um, to, to get more and more episodes. But mm -hmm. tomorrow we have Dr. Kip Davis on yes. to talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls. I'm excited to learn about them because I don't know much about the Dead Sea Scrolls. So I'm excited <laughs> to learn all about them. Nice. And then we have... Uh, on Monday, the very next day, we have oh, wow. a past pastor turned porn star. Um, well, uh, Tripper. <laughs> so that's an interesting conversation. You that's know her from awesome. Dr. Phil. You know her from Dr. Phil. Her story is actually interesting. She was a preacher. You can still watch her preachers on YouTube. And then she realized that she was queer. Like she started, but you know how some people can like kind of realize that really late in life. She realized she mm -hmm. was queer and then she didn't mm -hmm. like how the Bible taught certain things. I'll send her, I'll send her, I'll tell her about your book when we have a stream together, but that's Monday. That's going to be a good one. And nice. of course the slavery panel, which is just yes. wait. Yes. Just wait till you guys see the, uh, the advertisements I've got for this. I've, I've been working with, um, 
with the skeptic John, and we've made made some funny. Um, he's done some voiceover work, and we've made some. We're making some funny clips for this nice. that are going to troll all the apologists. Um, to come out and... <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, so this is going to be a good panel, guys. Make sure you subscribe so you can check this out. That is fun. Enough, enough of that. Let's so um, let's jump into. Um, can you go over a little bit for because I'm sure a lot of people really care about it. What's your perspective on? Um, on I guess women in church, and then mm. I guess we'll we'll touch back on homosexuality, like from a scholarly perspective. So, why Eve was deceived first, Jennifer? That's why. <laughs> you know, know. Yeah. So, so why, why? So, tell me, like from a scholarly perspective, why, why should women have human rights? And so. <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> um, but what, oh, yeah, so from a scholarly perspective, how do you how do you cross that bridge between like the Bible says this on face value, and how do you you go over this in your book? But maybe you can give us like a an overall like a, just a general perspective here, and people go check out the book. Um, link in the description. But yeah, how do women become pastors or have authority over yeah. men? Yeah. So quick takeaway on that, I would say, is there are biblical passages, so passages in the newer, I call it newer, not the New Testament, but the Newer Testament has writings mm -hmm. that, you know, coming from Paul saying, I commend to you, Phoebe, the head of your church. <laughs> well, mm. our English translations and potentially other translations, I, I don't read anything other than English when I'm reading the Bible, but um I imagine it happens in other languages as well is my point. Uh, the, the translation tones down her importance by, by calling her a servant or, a, you know, a, instead of a minister. And so Paul didn't ever talk about roles in the church. He talked about people having gifts, right? In, for, in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, both chapters, he's talking about spiritual gifts and the gifting that God gives you and, um, it's enlivened by the Holy Spirit and God gives. So use your gifts, right? Use them for the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. No gendered language going on there when it comes from the genuine Paul. So Romans and first Corinthians, just you've got a gift, use it. So there's, that's really how I, to get to, the, to get to it. That's how with so, people who need the scripture to affirm something, that's how you get there. So how, when you say genuine Paul, can you just touch on that briefly? Sure. I mean, there are 13 letters in the newer Testament attributed to Paul. We're pretty sure I, you know, most everyone agrees that seven of those 13, he definitely had a hand in he and his letter writing buddies. I like to say, cause he didn't actually write them. They had an amanuensis and he oh, was, wow. yeah. And he was collaborating. He wasn't just coming up with this on his own. He was collaborating. Um, wow. I know that changed things. For All me, that Renaissance Christian art lied to me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. And then there's six letters that came along later and they're attributed to Paul. But, you know, Paul was likely killed in the 60s and these are written much later. And whether or not he did write them doesn't matter. And it does. It depends on the day and the topic because they're in there. That's what matters is they're in the canon. But mm -hmm. there, there are some reasons we can say, ah, he probably didn't have a hand in writing this, but they wanted to attach it to Paul's name for various reasons. Um, that's a quick way to get exposure. 
right? Because people listen to Paul. Or maybe there was an idea in one of Paul's genuine letters that took off in a way no one anticipated and it's causing problems. And so we're mm -hmm. going to come along in Paul's name and correct that to kind of sh shift the trajectory a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. There are all kinds of reasons why none of, very few are actually negative, but reasons why people would do that. Um, so as a, like as a professor, when I'm, you know, talking with my New Testament students this past week, you know, I was like, okay, they're all in there, but let's talk about the fact that we have the early stuff that's genuine, Paul has more openness. It has more equality between men and women than we see in the later. Mm. And that I think is a point that we can talk about whether or not he actually wrote them because it shows us that thing, as things started to settle in and people started to need things like defining roles and, you know, we're, people are watching us now. People are seeing this movement and it's being observed and we need to make sure we're not being politically subversive or perceived as being politically subversive. So all these things come along and that's why we have writings like Colossians and Ephesians and first Peter that include these household code roles that, that makes it much more patriarchal again, or makes the hierarchy between men and women much more clear. Um, mm. Did I, did that all connect and make sense? Yeah, that, that <laughs> makes sense. And I, I love what you say uh, in the book, um, I'm, I'm not going to remember it correct perfectly, but you say something along the lines of like, you know, you don't, I imagine you don't see the Bible as the perfect ordained word of God with, with, you know, you see, you see humanity is humans. Um, hum, you see human humanity in it. Like humans wrote it on behalf of, I guess you imagine God, but what I find interesting is you mentioned like, I wonder what the women would say. Like, I wonder what they would have said if they had the chance to write down their thoughts, what are their perspectives on all of these things? You know, um, when when the men are saying this, are they, are they saying like, well, I don't really think that's that's accurate, or I don't really think God's like, like what? what yeah. would they say? Yeah. Yeah, and that actually, to me, brings us back to the one you referenced, the passage you referenced, the um, in First Timothy. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. And you also referenced the explanation or potential explanation for why, yeah. right? That Eve was deceived first and then, and then um, Adam, you know, when it says, you know, I, there's a lot going on in first Timothy, in my opinion, that um, makes it hard to talk about it quickly. Um, but in general, I do think about that letter as addressing. So some guy is addressing whoever it is, doesn't matter to me. They're addressing what they're perceiving or what they're hearing about that's happening. And they're telling a bunch of maybe chatty, chatty women, I don't know, uh, who are really intellectually curious and are talking, sharing the stories they're hearing. He wants that to stop for whatever reason. And he just puts a kibosh on it instead of saying, hey, can we can we talk about this? <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. Which gets back to your point. What would women have said? You know, how would they have, how would they tell the story differently? You know, and I think that applies throughout the entire Bible. How would Sarah mm. have told the story about Abraham almost sacrificing Isaac? You know, like mm. how, you know, I, I mean, we could just, we can go down the list on that. But because yeah, because something I've learned recently is women are people too. Oh yeah. So like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like it's like it's it's to me to me that's to me um, even even if, even though I was a Christian, I couldn't. I, I find it hard to perceive the Bible as the per, like as the as God ordained, I guess, because because I I would think that any holy text that has a very like if it was just all written by women and it was like this is the holy text, I'd be like I'd be like hmm, that's still missing half the half the population, you know. Um, so yeah, for me, it's like I I wonder where the women's voices are a lot of the time. Like, why aren't they just as nice. just as um there as um men's voices? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I love actually. I'm I'm glad that you. It's really lovely to hear that you think that way. I one of the assignments I give my intro students uh, to the Hebrew Bible is I ask them to write a letter from Sarah to Abraham after they read Genesis 12, where he pimps her out to the Pharaoh, right? And it's fun. It's fun to read what they come up with. But some, you know, and have you got you, any? Have you got any horror stories about that? Have you got any like, like, like triggered, interesting? Well, no. like, have you got any like anyone that's like like come up with an kind of an excuse for it or something or like? Mm. Yeah, a lot of uh, people that grow up in the church do a lot of explaining and justifying <clears throat> and just saying, I know you're doing the best you could, or I know you still love me, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I also get some really sassy, like, this is the note they left on the kitchen table so he could read it in the morning and she's gone, you know, kind of, <laughs> yeah. wow. it's a whole range, a whole range. But my point was then, the, you know, they've never had someone actually bring this to their attention. So they've never stopped to think about it. That, yeah. You can bring this observation you've just made for us, David, into pretty much any passage, you know, any story in the Bible. Mm. Even if with a female maybe at the center, it's still being written by men. And so even, you know, even Esther's story or Ruth's story, you know, they're still being written by men as far mm. as we know. Um, yeah. So, you know, it just isn't, it's a, even those stories might need some help, you know. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, Pirate uh, Bob said, Jennifer, I recently saw a debate you had with a heavily indoctrinated mm. young woman. I was impressed with how you were able to keep your cool. Oh. You're awesome. Oh, thank you for saying that, first of all. And I love, I, I've forgotten the dude's name, but I love your um, icon, your profile. Uh, Tim, Tim Minchin. Hilarious. Yeah. I love him. Yeah. Um, thank you for that, Pirate Barb. I, um, I tried really hard to be res respectful to her with her and um, it wasn't really, yeah, I, I'm not a debate person because, because I don't find debating and arguing useful. Uh, but there was a reason to do that. And so I did it. And um, that's nice of you to say, Barb. I, yeah. <laughs> Can yeah, you tell I, that I'm still of mixed <laughs> feelings about that whole thing? Yeah. I'll have to, um, I'll have to check that one out. I'll have to fi um, find mm -hmm. it when, um, yeah. when we finish. Cause I, I don't, know the reference but well and i'll just say you don't need to it's a three-hour thing but i will say that my favorite part was when i finally just had the space and i was and i just said to her you know and it was near the end and i said i just wish we could have this conversation in 20 years once she's had some life experience because she's yeah. you know she's just trotting out yeah. the lines she's been told she doesn't know any life behind yeah. these comments you know and i'm like oh yeah. yeah well when you've been pregnant and you're not trying to be pregnant this conversation's different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, that's exactly right. There's um, I I I uh, I have so on deep drinks, I try to keep keep cool, calm, and collected. But I, okay, I'm okay. the opposite. I love internet blood sports. I love. Like, I've got a, <laughs> I've got a, I've got a video on my uh on my other uh, channel where it's just me laughing at this um really racist homophobic uh, uh 
like Jew hating. Um, he, he literally screams like at Jews in the street, like this guy is a psycho. And um, he kept harassing me. And so I, I jumped on and I just trolled him for 13 minutes. He jumped off and it was so satisfying. It was really enjoyable. Uh, so that's, I have two different sides, but um, nice. so, so with homosexuality, so how do we get, mm-hmm. and I'm sure many people watching will appreciate this okay. is okay. how do we get, how do we get from uh, homosexuals should be put to death mm. to same sex marriage is cool. How how do you get mm-hmm. how do you go from that biblically scholarly? Okay, or can you? Do you need the thirty second version or the five minute version? Look, this is deep drinks. <laughs> Give us the, the longest version you possibly can. Yeah, yeah, because be, the way you set that up was was kind of interesting and helpful. How do you go from these people should be put to death to um, they're humans and you know whatever? Okay, so. They also are people. I found they are. I I am. (laughs) I do not identify, but I. So they are humans that I don't want to talk about as being different for me. But they are. These are humans. So yeah. Um. It's you know it's helpful I think to look at the laws more broadly. Um. When it comes to those claims about the laws that say to put to death, right? You you know, um, you're to put to death a couple that's having an affair. You're supposed to put them to death. You're supposed to put to death anyone who kidnaps a person. That is that is just that requires or somehow justifies the death penalty. Anyone who curses mm-hmm. mother or father, curses mm-hmm. should be put to death. So you know, and then what's so interesting to me, which came which I realized in writing the book, which I I mean genuinely, it's so fun when you when you keep when you're able to keep having new insights, like from reading scholarship or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. That list of, you know, in Leviticus 18 and 20, those lists of, you know, who a man cannot have sex with. Yeah. It's it's like all the women he would meet at a family reunion, right? You're not to have you're not supposed to have sex with any of these women. But I just never stopped to think about the fact that we those laws that those two sets of laws make it very clear that men are having sex outside of marriage, and these are the ones you just can't touch. Whoa, interesting, right? And I they say, pe- yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so I don't so, know if I if you picked that if that was in your book. Nope, or, no, it's just, in the one okay, I just cool, wrote. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no, it's in the I can't wait to I was read like, that. wait a minute. I hadn't thought about <laughs> it this way. And they had to put it in there twice, which is also interesting. And so, you know, from a from a historical perspective, I'm trying to calm down just a little bit. Just a little bit. No, from don't historical, calm down. Well, yeah, from no. a historical <laughs> perspective, like stop and think about the things that people needed to be told. Hmm. And the 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 level at which they are legislating when it comes to laws the, you know the under any the level of uh, the extreme punishments right that that mm. is there's an extremity involved here that is not very healthy or helpful mm. right um these are not good parenting techniques <laughs> <laughs> to just smite people for whatever, right? Okay, so I think it's helpful to start there that these are ancient laws that tell us where they were coming from and how they viewed the world. So there's there's a starting point. The next thing I would suggest is 
the laws that do taught, there are two, only two verses in the Hebrew Bible and one or two in the Newer Testament that address this whole conversation about what we call homosexuality. And there's no evidence that they saw it this way at all, an understanding of human sexuality as any kind of orientation. Okay. So they're not thinking about it the same way, but those two laws, you know, a man shall not lie with a man as you do a woman. Um, you know, what was going on for them? Is that just the whole issue of don't waste your semen? Cause you know, it's not going to, she, you can't impregnate another man. I think that's possible. I don't think it's the main reason to be honest, but I do think that's part of it. You know, like we got to populate and procreate. Mm -hmm. I think it really is more about, um, just what we think of as homophobia. I think it is more about this honor shame system and that no man would ever allow himself to be penetrated like a woman. Um, no man would ever choose to be the passive one in sex. And the reason I say that is I think it's, it is deeply important to me for people to understand the way sex is talked about in the Bible is it is a thing a man does to a woman, not something a couple enjoys together. It's a very common ancient trope to talk about sex. Even be, even philosophers, second century BCE to third or fourth century common era, talked about sex as something that a man does to a woman or a lesser, someone lesser in class. So, or, you know, so it could be a young man, but, you know, there's an active person and a passive person. This is the conception. And no male, real true male with honor would allow himself to be put in that position. And so, you know, that that is, I do think, uh, primarily what's going on in those two in those two verses. So, you know, so then you're like, well, if that's what it says, then that's what God means. I'm like, yeah, except for the fact that this is how we're born, right? We're born with things going on. And I feel like there's a tangent here too, because I, I'm absolutely endorse and support people. I know plenty of women who identify more as a hetero, as hetero, but have chosen to be in relationships with women. And, you know, I'm totally fine with that. So it's complicated, but like, just in general, when you come out of your mother's uterus, with the wiring you've got. If you talk about God as creating us, then then God created that. And so I just need to create some space to say who you are is how you, you know, is good. God, if you believe that God creates us, then this is a good thing, who you are. Um, mm. And then you get onto, you know, <laughs> uh, I yeah. had a, I, I had a pastor tell me, um, uh, I'll call him out, Alan Beadle. Um, and he, uh, he, he told, he told me when, when the same sex marriage plebiscite was happening, first of all, we had a same sex marriage plebiscite in Australia where Australia was voting on whether or not, um, the gays should be able to have the rights, human rights and be able to get married. Should be able to have the um, human rights. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And by the way, my, 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 that, uh, my friend Colin, he's like, you need to stop saying the gays because people think you're serious. <laughs> like people think but I'm saying it as, I'm saying it ironically, but anyway. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, and he, he said one, he was quoting the game, this, this, this uh, document called the gay manifesto as if it was real. It was a satirical piece from, I think the eighties 
that was like, oh, you know, we want to take over. And he was quoting it as if it was real. And even oh, as we pointed it, pointed it out, he still continued to, like, yeah. he didn't care. He just wanted yeah. a message. Yeah. Uh, and secondly, um, he said to me, well, the reason, I said, why did Jesus talk about, um, I think, did Jesus talk about slavery? Maybe he didn't, or servants? Depends uh, on how you want to ask that. Yes, he used, he yeah. uses slaves in some of his parables. Yeah, okay. And we'll talk about that on the panel, um, and but um, on the slavery panel. But um, he, I was like, why didn't Jesus mention homosexuality? Like, it's only mentioned in the New Testament with Paul. And his answer was, because homosexuality wasn't a problem at that time in that area of the world. Mm. So, so, like... <laughs> There was homosexuality in ancient, uh, in the desert, as the Israelites were walking through the desert for 40 years. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine that would have been a nice experience, sandy and dry, right? It, for, for men to have sex with each other. <laughs> and then when we get to when we get to Rome, you know, the churches in Rome and stuff, no homosexuality. No, uh, no, no, no. That's why he didn't need to bring it up because it wasn't right. a problem. It yeah. wasn't a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, you know, when I, you know, because I do think, through the Bible, like what is the Bible saying, and how do we, you know, how do we use it to say positive things? And you know, there, at the end of the day, there are some passages that are just hurtful, and that are, mm. I think, are just outright wrong. Um, and so, you know, I've come to a place where I'm okay with that, and I know how to make sense of that for myself. Um, it is not a place I was 10 years ago, uh, 15 years ago or whatever. Um, when I started seminary, I wasn't there because I needed scripture to affirm something for, in order for it to be okay for me. I needed that. Mm. And, yeah. you know, what's interesting to me is when you come at that conversation, those who need the Bible to affirm something in order for it to be okay today. Well, I've got news for those folks. The Bible doesn't anywhere affirm a loving marriage entered into by two equals. Well, yeah. So, um, so if we're going to, if we need it to affirm it, it doesn't. Well, I'm sorry, uh, Jennifer. <laughs> um, I went to a wedding yesterday and you, you, um, you would, you, you, you must be wrong because that's all that was talked about. You know, a, a cord of three strands is not easily broken and we bring, you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, mm -hmm. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. I never actually thought about about that concept that 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 isn't marriage. The idea of love in marriage is kind of a modern. It is modern, a modern uh, thing. Yes, yeah. and the and the passages that people like to have read at weddings, First Corinthians thirteen, like that's beautiful. Some of it I still don't like, but but it's it's still. He was talking to the community. He wasn't talking to a couple at the altar getting married. He was talking to yeah. how we treat each other, right? Interesting. Um, Ephesians five off. <laughs> I had this awkward moment where I was teaching a New Testament class and one of my students got married that term and asked me to come to his wedding. And I did. And we, it was two weeks after I had just torn Ephesians 5 apart in class. And of course, what's, what's the, Ephesians 5? Ephesians 5, 21 to 33, the, you know, um, women sub, submit yourself. Oh, submit to your house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah as you yeah. do to the Lord and, and men love your wives. And then that whole thing about this is a mystery and I'm referring to Christ in the church. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, my wife like actually, they read that out yesterday. My wife said, I didn't like that bit. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, not, I've, no disrespect to them, by the way, like if they're watching and obviously we love you, but um, 
but yeah, it was just a different perspective. And part of it is they probably never stopped to think it through or, or even think mm. that one through critically. You know what I mean? Mm. It just sounds lovely when you read it with the right tone of voice. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, it's like, um, and, and we, we will talk about this um, on the panel, but you know, the, the apologist the apologetics I'm going through for slavery is amazing. The way they, they re they reword something like Paul Copen in his book, um, is God a moral monster. He talks about, this is amazing. This is so amazing. Talking about tone. He talks about um, owning another human being as property so that you can pass them onto your children as inheritance. Right. So you're children. Right, them. Right, yeah. he, he talks about that as in, he talks about that as, as like, Oh, well, you know, if the slave really enjoyed the social and um, benefits and became part of the family, he could even stay there and be part, you know, like he talks about like the slave is like, oh yeah, I'd love to be a Benefiting slave. Benefiting from like, this. Mm -hmm. It's it's crazy. It's it's um it's mm -hmm. crazy. Uh we got a super chat from Nitty. Thank you so much, Nitty. Um finally, yes, we are monetized. That makes a huge difference. Aww, I'm pushing really, that's sweet. really, really hard. Nitty's Guys, a friend, is, apparently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Nitty's a great guy, and um he's been on the yes. channel before. Everyone go subscribe to Nitty, he's got good content. Uh there's uh, the other thing too, I want to mention to everyone that um, this, to me, this is, I'm making this my full-time job. I want to continue to mm. do deep drinks podcasts mm. and be able to produce content around scholarship, human rights, religion, philosophy, mm. maybe science even. Uh, and so if you want to help us get there, obviously super chatting is awesome. Watching these, sharing these streams are awesome, liking. And straight after this on the Patreon, I'm going to be doing a um, a live stream, uh, an unlisted live stream talking about how I um, prepare for an interview, going how I um, get all the notes, how I find my guests and what I do to, to, to kind of put together a show uh, for anyone who's interested in that, which I don't think too many people will be, but I needed to start somewhere with you the never know. And stuff, right? Yeah. yeah so yeah, absolutely. if you want to support um, and become one of the first 12, go check that out. Um, and thank you, Nitty. Um, I did want to ask you, um, Jennifer, how, where do you get your morality from, if not from the Bible? Hmm. That's like, that's a question that I know so many, so many, and it's a bit of a troll question, but it's, it's, I know it's a question that a lot of, a lot of people will ask you, like, mm -hmm. if you, if, they ground their morality in what they on in the Bible, which I like what Dr. Josh says. He says, if you do that, you don't know slavery is wrong, right? But but if you don't get your where do you start from with your morality? Like what like you because you talk okay, let me back up. You talk about your litmus test in in the uh in in your book. Um maybe you could touch on that and then we could go into where do you get your morality from? Like how do you how do you determine what's right and wrong in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, I was thinking I might read that part. Is that awkward? Yeah. That? No, absolutely not. I was going to do it, but I don't have the copy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, next three weeks for anything to get to Australia, which is a bummer, but. Um... Yeah, no, I know. Um, let's see. I start with this, this. Some of you might be wondering now what questioning a literal reading of the Bible or the typical way of reading certain passages can set in motion even more questioning. I recall having quite a knee-jerk reaction to it all, thinking, if this one thing about the Bible is not true, in the way I thought the whole Bible was true and trustworthy, then where does it stop? <laughs> what is to keep someone from challenging all of it? That slippery slope. So that's, um, you know, that's where I that's where I start this kind of wrapping it up. Um, 
And throughout this book, I'm ask, I'm asking people to just be very honest about what's there and to not try to explain it away, but just sit with it. And that's when people start to get uncomfortable because you realize you've been told, you've been given ways to explain it all away, but I'm asking you mm. not to. And so, yeah, um, I guess this is where I talk about my litmus test. I'm trying to think, remember if it's right here. Oh, um, as I've talked through passages, I've held up my own lens for you to see how I view scripture. Your lens or litmus test will be your own, and perhaps it'll be quite different from mine. The important part for those of you who turn to the Bible for daily guidance or for theological claims is to be aware that your engagement in the world is directly affected by how you read the Bible. It's not the part I thought it was, but anyway, I think it is important for you to be conscious of what your litmus test is and to be assured that it is okay if it's different from what you were taught it should be. Where's the part where I talk about my litmus Anyway. Oh, here it is. Sorry. Is this weird? Is this okay? No, I keep doing this? Okay. This, this is not weird at all. This is not weird okay. at all. And okay. I do the same thing, especially because you wrote this in 2015 or it was published yeah. in 2015. Yeah. 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 That's a long time ago. It yeah. is. And I've, I've, uh. I read it last year. It's been a while. So personally, I hold my understanding of who God is and is not as my lens in every encounter with scripture, which is a whole different conversation, to be honest, because if I'm going to posit that there is God, then it I want to say that it looks nothing like God who's described in the Bible. So that's, mm. that's, I don't get into all that here in the book because it's too much, but I did a, I did a conversation with, with Derek on Myth Vision called Redefining God. And that's actually mm. one of the books I still want to write. So whatever that three letter word means to you, David, you know, or to your listeners, I imagine it might not actually mean the same thing as what I mean by God. Just putting mm. that out there. Okay. But I have a litmus test for scripture and theological claims. If a biblical passage or theological doctrine endorses freedom, liberation, love, the fullness of life for all people, or a mature and responsible faith, then it is of God. When I see a passage that depicts God as wrathful or as dealing death blows to his supposed enemies or even to his own people, for instance, then that passage does not pass the test. When there are passages that contain belittling words or that endorse arbitrary restrictions of people, I assume those passages were inspired by human desires, not a loving and reconciling God. Most of all, I believe in the ability of human beings to make ethical, loving, and moral choices. This is what binds us together. I believe that when a biblical passage does not endorse such choices, then we need to be able to call it out instead of finding a way to uphold it anyway. So you asked me where my morality comes from. I think it comes from my family. I think it comes from my experiences as a female. And, you know, it comes from observing um, like the doctrines of the church and, and realizing how harmful many of them have been for me. And... So I think I actually more would, if I gave myself a label, I would call myself a humanist. And mm, okay. I believe in the ability of humans to be fill in the blank. There's a handful of things there. So my morality mm. comes from the fact that I've listened to people and I've observed and I, you know, like I've done, a, I've tried to do a lot of reading. I've tried to be in touch with what's going on in the world. I've tried to hear from perspectives very different from mine and I think of morality as 
what is it that's good for people? I don't, and I know that's a weird thing to say. I'm just mm. kind of on the spot, kind of trying to define it for you, but no, that, that makes sense. I, so like, and that's great. Like that's, that I, I'm, I hold the same values. <laughs> I try and, um, you know, I have a very interesting take on morality, I guess. I, mm. I kind of disagree with a lot of the, um, the, a lot of the philosophical, um, philosophers on this actually. Mm. Mm. There, there's a big, yeah, the big meta analysis of, um, of the, of the, there was this big thing on like, they asked a bunch of moral philosophers, um, you know, what, where do they think, you know, a bunch of questions. And one of them was, is, is morality objective or subjective, essentially? Mm. Um, <laughs> and the majority of them are morality is objective. And I was like, <laughs> no way. Was like, no, no, it's way. Not. no, it's not. And these aren't Christians either. These aren't. No, I know. They're they're just delusional slightly. They don't realize it. Okay. Yeah. yeah well, well, yeah. <laughs> right. Get, in, get, get into what the. Part of, what part of human experience is objective? None of it. Yeah. Well, it's. Sorry, it's uh no, it's 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 wild, and I was. Um, but it, it makes me pause because I'm like, okay, well, if the majority of scholars are saying it's, I don't think they use the word objective. It's like something else. Um, mm -hmm. It's been mm -hmm. a while since I looked into it, but I, I go even further than than um, than. And it's interesting because I want to learn more about this because I, I want to see where I'm wrong. Because obviously, these people think about this a lot more than I do. So um, I want to kind of learn about this. But with the subjectivity, I don't I even go further than subjectivity. I don't even think morality really exists. I think people just operate within their own preferences. I think societies get built on these preferences. I think that um, tradition and culture plays a part of it, how you're raised. Um, and I don't, I don't really think morality exists. And I think that... Um, interesting. So I'm kind of a moral anti-realist in, in a way that I think that I just think people just operate within their preferences. And it's like, so how do you... How is... You know, how, how does someone true. go to... Go to prison. Yeah, yeah. How does you one know. go to prison though? In that in that situation where right. what they did wasn't truly wrong. It's like, well, um, it, it's ro like morality exists in that it's something I don't like, right? Like, I, someone can come in and physically abuse me now, and I wouldn't like that. So I could call that wrong, but it's not. It's that 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 type. But ultimately, that thing I'm calling wrong is just there's nowhere in the universe I can point to and say there is morality. Yeah, so that's right. where I come right. from. I think I hear what so, you're saying. Yeah, I, I hope I'm making sense. And if not, I'll do a video on it. Um, but so what are your perspectives on morality? So you have this litmus test, right? Yeah. Uh, a lot of Christians will say to you, um, where do you get your morality from if not from the Bible? Um, right, right. And I can't how do you Yeah, justify? well, and I would say that since I grew up in the church, for sure, I think on some level that constructed some things for me, maybe in my thinking. But I disagree with so much of what the Bible asserts, and I'm okay saying that, and I'm okay saying thinking with my with my framework, and I'm okay think you know like I think I'm actually a much more moral person, a much more loving and kind and compassionate person, now that I don't need the Bible to tell me what to think um, the way I did in my twenties. So, where do, you know I think it's an interesting question because there's this part of me that like when you ask me that question, where does morality come from? I go off into that world of, well, we kind of all have some sort of thing in us that says yeah. yes and no. And then there are mm. also people who are so sociopaths or psychopaths and they mm. don't have the same no or yes mm. that we do or that most of us do. So then that's a thing you got to deal with. You got to be honest, right? Mm. Um, so, so that's why I referred to, I, I have tried to listen to 
You know, I've tried to listen to story. I've intentionally sought out when I didn't understand immigration issues or when I didn't understand um, racial, like when I first started trying to understand the, the racist elements I had been given because of where I grew up, I, you know, I intentionally sought out stories and people that would help me understand. Um, so I, you know, that from my perspective, that is where I get my, my morality is that I am aware that I don't have the full picture here and I'm actively finding others to help me fill it in from their perspective. Mm. I am at, you know, I try to be sensitive to where other people, who other people are, where they are coming from. And I think that's why there's this general golden rule that has shown up at around the globe in the ancient world, right? Treat others as you would like to be treated. Like that mm. pretty basic mm. thing that lots of people have said at various points in time. And we kind of keep coming back to that, I think, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I've I've heard um critiques of that and like some people like to be, you know how like there's like sexual fetishes where oh, like, sure, people yeah. like to be like stepped on and like you know, whipped <laughs> and stuff. So it's like it's like, well, if you if you treat people like you want to be treated, like you know, right, what I mean? right. So, we're not um, all into BDSM. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, Kip Davis, uh, that's Kip. Dr. Kip Davis, who's his his tomorrow. <laughs> make sure you come out tomorrow because we're gonna be we're gonna be drinking Canadian whiskey and um and he's 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 getting ready to I think test me and I've got a family dinner afterwards so I'll probably be drunk. But should I sacrifice my firstborn <laughs> to ensure that the, the Calgary Flames make it to the playoffs? It seems like a long shot, and I have no daughters to sell. It's oh. a good question. Good yeah, question. it is. It's very relevant. Very. If morality is not objective, it's not definable. Yeah, it's, I could see that. Uh, yes uh, and no. Can you go back okay. to that? Do you mind going yeah, back, yeah, let's to go back to that? Yeah. Because here's the thing: what you know, aside from like math and some, not even all math, but like some some parts of science. Though science is still highly subjective at times, oh, it, it, it right? Is. The only thing it's like maths is the only thing that you can that's even close. Proofs, yeah, right. Proofs? That was my yeah. favorite class. I was a math major yeah. in undergrad. It was my favorite class. Yeah. Proofs and all the like the history of math. But so you know, when you want to, if you if if we, I find it interesting, and I love that Ray posed the question. Thank you, Ray, because. Mm. Or pose the the challenge if, if it's a retort mm. or if it's I don't know if Ray actually thinks that the, we're crazy for saying that it's subjective, or they're just offering this as a... Ray's a major troll in the chat. No, I'm kidding. Oh, gotcha. I'm, oh, I'm okay. kidding. I'm kidding. He's not. He's not. Oh, okay. He's not. I'm, I'm like, what? So <laughs> he's not nice guy. Okay. Yeah. If it's if it's not objective, it's not definable. I mean that I I think that that's an interesting place to start, but I don't agree with that because everything theolog like we can define our human experiences from our perspectives and that will be utterly subjective. Mm. Now, you know, I think on some level, this challenge gets back to your point, David, that there, you're not sure that there's, you do not believe that there's a thing out there <laughs> that holds the tag of morality, right? Like it's not a thing you mm. can point to, but that humans actually do. We do. We, we act out of what works for us. And that's why this issue of rearing children well, you know, in the formative ages is really important because that's what's going to happen. Whatever they're given mm. is how they're going to behave. And so, mm. but it's still definable on a certain level, isn't it? 
I think, well, yeah, I think, I think that it's ultimately not definable, but I think that it's ah. definable within a certain, like within a context, within a framework, right? Like that's how I kind of okay. do it. So I, I kind of agree with what you're saying. Like, so there's, there was a story, um, I, don't, I don't know how accurate I'm getting this, but essentially this guy tragically um, killed his family and then killed himself. Okay. And he wrote this in his suicide note, um, you know, please, I've been acting very strange the last few months, please oh. do an autopsy on my brain, right? And oh, interesting. Aut autopsy on his brain and they discovered that he had a tumor pressing on a growing pressing on the mm. part of his brain that was in control of emotional um mm. something regulation i mean yeah. well, I, it's uh because i'm not a neuroscience i just imagine the brains like you know you press on this bit and <laughs> this thing happens. So, uh, so but something was affecting his brain yeah. um and so i had this interesting conversation with shannon q about this because she knows a lot about neuroscience and, she, and i was like you know where do we where's the free will in that and I'm I'm also someone who thinks um, thinks of the universe as more d deterministic. So I imagine like if you were to, and maybe you could talk about this because you're a maths major, but but like if you were to, if you were to like push a rock down a hill, and it was to if you knew every variable, the wind, what it would bounce on, the friction of the rock, every variable, you could predict with 100% certainty where that rock was going to land. Well, um, and you could run that experiment a billion times over and it would land in the exact same spot. I mean, there are quantum fluctuations, but we're not going to worry about that, like just in this hypothetical. So it would land in the same spot. Well, I just think the brain is a much more complicated version of a rock and a hill. And I think mm -hmm. that human society is a much more complicated version of that. And the universe is much more complicated. Than that. So <laughs> I'm more of a determinist, determinist in that I don't think, I think free will is a bit of an illusion. But the interesting question is, from all of that preamble is how do you then send someone to prison mm -hmm. for something that they did that essentially wasn't um their choice it was their choice it, but but it, they were always going to do that based on the chemical structure of their brain and the environment they grew up in and i'll give you my answer and then you can you can comment i think as a society we have to act as if free will exists in order to have a functioning society like it's it's almost like we have to bite the bullet and go we have to pretend free will exists um you know like that's otherwise society would just be chaos like people would just be you could just do whatever you wanted right so it's almost like this fast this lie that we have to tell ourselves i mean no one thinks about this as deeply as a lot of me and other nerds online but 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 like we have to from my perspective we have to uh, we have to pretend as if we do have free will in order to keep a functioning society. What are your thoughts on that? On all of that? <laughs> so. Yeah, I have lots of thoughts on all of that, actually. And I, okay. yeah, so I'll, sh I'll try to choose the ones that I think are most important because I love that. I love the premise. I love the converse, the comments you've thrown out there, right? We have to pretend that we have free will in order for, but, but doesn't that whole thing about, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not going to be able to put my thoughts to words is the problem here. Um, it's a hard one. It's, it's, well, it takes, I've, I've it spent, is, about, I spent about six months thinking about it before mm, I could. Mm, so, you know, it. so here's the thing. Like I, I, I really hate the whole conversation about free will because, okay. because the men who came up with it were not taking into consideration all of the social factors and economic factors and, all these other things so that actually do impact the way we do behave which is part of what you were getting at right like it, it, people who are denied access to 
all kinds of things, education, safety, right? Feeling safe in their neighborhood and uh, ability to have a solid job that, that makes productivity joyful or lovely or whatever. Like there are just so many factors that play into why in, people end up doing things that end up being really awful and bad, right? Yeah. And so the, the same goes for the theological claims um, and philosophical claims about free will, because Show me a female who's actually walking down the street at night doing exactly what she would like to do instead of thinking about all the ways she's trying to protect herself. Like, that's not free. And so mm. the concept of free will in and of itself drives me fucking crazy. I just <laughs> hate it. And I agree with your concept, maybe this, with the point. Maybe this maybe. Yeah, maybe this was a conversation for our ayahuasca episode where yes. we're both. Just, yeah, I think so. Because I, does free I get will really consciousness cranky about. Exist? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Because, yeah, I, yeah. No, no, keep keep going. I was just making. No, no, I was trying I, to make an interesting it, idea. Yeah, I get really. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I mean, part of it is also there's the Augustinian concept of free will who's, you know, early on and affected all the Catholics in the room, you know, and then there's the other, the later reformation thing about free will, which is more about whether or not you actually get to go to heaven of your choice. And, you know, is the free will in terms of all the things I might do in my life, free will, is that what we're talking, are we talking about like, you know, where you, destination yeah, it's and like, all this it's, thing. it's a whole, yeah. it's like a whole other conversation. Like yeah. we could do a we could do a whole other episode I, on and, just that and, and not, not touch the surface. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to. I just want. I just think that it's really important, at least to me as a woman, as a scholar, that that it's even at your your question that you posed about how is it how is it right to send someone to prison mm. if if there is no such thing as free will and and I and I ultimately resonate with that what i understand you to be posing there because i think that mm. i think that that those the the realities that people are born into and the, the hundreds of years of issues that have led up to them and us right i think those are not taken seriously enough in these larger conversations or philosophical conversations about something like morality because it's just it's complex and most people have never stopped to think about it that way mm. Yeah, it's very it's very complex. You could devote your whole life to you could to to thinking about that. You um, could. I... Uh, Cheryl Lyle uh, asked oh, a super hey, chat. Cheryl. Thank you, thank you. Cheryl's amazing. She is the she's first lovely. saint. She's the first <laughs> disciple on Patreon. She was the first person to support us, and she'll always be immortalized there, canonized <laughs> as a saint of deacons. Um, it's so weird. It's so weird, but I love it. Um, so uh, and also thank you so much, Cheryl, for mm. super chatting as well. That's amazing. Uh, every every uh, bit of money that we get helps me buy um, uh, different helps me work better towards creating more interviews and getting more more people on and be able to focusing more on my time on this. And I'm grinding really hard. But Doc Cheryl Lyle said, Doctor Bird, how would you respond to a Christian apologist such as Michael Brown, Sean uh, McDowell, and John Wyatt, who have different different who have a different response to homosexuality than you do? I would want to have a conversation, not a debate. I think Cheryl knows that, but, um, you know, I don't, I, to be honest, I don't read them or listen to them or read their, like, I don't go there. I don't, 
it's hard enough to do the work I'm trying to do without like constantly being reminded of the, 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 what I consider to be under informed thinking, um, you know, and so I would have to imagine a few comments first, I would need a few comments to respond well to this, mm. to this question. Um, what kinds of things are they saying, you know, because because my sense is most the apologists are taking what they've been told the Bible says about homosexuality and saying that that is actually true and then going from there, you know, so, <laughs> so, and I think Cheryl can appreciate this. My first few thoughts are, you know, I, I'd want to educate and, and that's not, that's, that's that's kind of rude and pompous for me to even say that um no well i think you've got every right to educate but you're you're the top of your field in like you're the top you can't get any more educated than you currently are in new testament and early christianity right like there's not like phd 2.0 right like um, yeah yeah i think yeah. you know and i I, th I guess it really just yeah that's why i'm i'm feel like i'm not gonna do this justice you know are they saying for instance are they saying things like what well, says in you know, first Timothy and whatever in first Corinthians six that says, well, actually, no. So they're not actually, you know, those, the, I could, we could get into conversation about that, that the Greek there is arsenikoites and that word itself, we don't know what they mean by that word, arsenikoites, that, that you pull the word apart, that's man, arson, and koites sounds similar to coitus, right? Uh, because mm -hmm. it, it should, right? Lying with a man, having sex with a man, or is it a man having sex with a man? Like, we don't know what arsenicoites actually refers to in terms of practices and behaviors. But, but really, any of the passages in the Bible are talking about sex acts. They're not talking mm. about human beings. And that's to be expected because that's, mm. that's the level they were functioning at was these mm. acts. And so denigrating certain acts and instead of having any sort of a foundation for being able to say humans come in a range of um, preferences, orientations, desires, all of those kinds of things. So so the writers of the, of the scriptures didn't understand humanity, didn't understand sexuality the way we can know and understand it today. Mm. Um, so that's, you know, those are the things that are important to me to bring up about what is in the Bible, right? The Bible talks mm. about sex and sex acts. It doesn't talk about human beings. And they have a very limited perspective on what kind of sex is appropriate um, mm. or okay. And this, even just the concept of monitoring what people do, right? Like really, mm. you know, and people want to ask questions like um, the, the references to fornication. Well, what, what did they mean by that word? Did they mean mm. any sex that doesn't, that couldn't lead to procreation? So 90% of the sex that heteros are having, <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, yeah there's um, a lot of there are a lot of um i'm not sure if you've heard about this but there are there there are two things i want to discuss there are a lot of people who engage in anal sex like a lot of heterosexual couples who engage in anal exactly. sex as a way to save their virginity so oh, right before, like yeah and then <laughs> the, then there are a lot of um then there's this thing called soaking which has become popular in mormonism have you heard about soaking yeah i think is this yeah, the... so it's so 
they won't they, so they don't consider it sex if no one's moving so what they'll do yes, this they have friends like moving them yeah they literally lie on a bed and like kind of like fall into one another yeah right the, yeah. the man, man into the female and then they'll have someone jump on the bed yes. so that, so they're not moving the bed right. the bed right someone's moving them instead yeah <laughs> and it's like well okay all right that doesn't sound fun but like okay like the links I mean, people go to to yeah mm -hmm. yeah um <sighs> I've, I've often thought and I'd, I'd like to get your perspective on this just as we're wrapping up is um is I, i've often thought that maybe when when paul or pseudo paul or whoever it was that was mm -hmm. writing um you know that th these people were not, were not inherently kingdom of god they're um, lustful or whatever the drunkards all that stuff yeah. uh, and the homosexuals i wonder um i wonder if the homosexuality and this is uneducated opinion uneducated thought but i wonder if that homosexuality wasn't referenced to like a, a, a loving homosexual relationship but maybe because it's in the context of sexual immorality maybe it's talking about maybe the concept is like a heterosexual man so overfilled with lust that he has sex with a man you know what i mean like he's he's like it's like the inability to control um himself it's like it's or it's like rape or it's like something to do with um you know uh you know we're stuck on an island together for you know six weeks let's give each other hand jobs like mm -hmm. that kind of i wonder if it's like that if it's if it's like the the if it's that kind of thing rather than being overfilled with lust and then therefore engaging in homosexual acts rather than um like i guess people who love each other who are expressing that through their love and also where are the women in all this why can't women you know it, yeah why do they not care how women have sex yeah yeah a random yeah. aside and this is sorry to ramble so much but i just have, have to get this out but the the i'm doing a, a, a panel on purity culture soon oh, one of the things that, bo that bothered me so much about when i spoke to a lot of women about um, mm. purity culture on the on the show like heathen queen and things like that and emily from feral pastor's wife mm -hmm. they would talk about like they were taught in, in in church that essentially they needed to cover up because essentially men wouldn't be able to control themselves and men, we were taught, you won't be able to control yourself. So you need to like, don't masturbate, don't look at porn, don't, don't, you know, try really hard to, to kind of fight back those urges. And then we'd have these like clubs where we would all like try to go see how long we could go without masturbating. And we would, we would call each other and say, mm. pray. And the other person would go and pray because that person was horny. And then Sunday mm. would come around and then, you know, um, Martha, the receptionist at church was wearing a blouse that showed one centimeter of cleavage. We're like, mm -hmm. I can't take it. And then it, it fulfills the, you know. <laughs> But the thing, the thing that bothered me about all of this is, is why can't women? Why weren't women taught that they could be lustful? Like why? Why were? It's like they weren't even acknowledged that women could be like lustful, um, like uh, pornography, masturbation. Um, that they want to like um, objectify men. It was almost like the inner feminist came out of me and was like, "Hey, women can be dirtbags as well. Like it doesn't have to be." It was kind of annoying that like that that it was taught in such a way that it was taught like the 1950s version of marriage where the woman grits her the lady grits her teeth and the man just like has his way and then moves on with his day like it's just anyway do you have any comments on all so that? many so many okay um one that whole thing the scenario you just set up right it's all about the man doing to a woman this is ancient yeah. thinking about sex there you go right this isn't about to this isn't about what humans might actually want to enjoy together 
discover and figure out together. There's no healthy, there isn't a healthy conversation about sex and sexuality at all. Um, and, and your point is really important. Why are, I mean, I know people who don't think that women can masturbate. Like, well, like you know, physically, like it's like, not physically like they don't think that it's they don't even realize it's a thing a woman could do. Oh, wow. Right. What so, a sad. Exactly. Existence. Especially yeah. when it's a woman who doesn't know that you could do this. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, there are all kinds of thoughts that went through my mind. Mostly, I just wanted to, like, say, I'm so glad that you could see those things and see this is a problem and perpetuating the problem by the way they're trying to fix the problem. Right. I mean, that's mm. part of what's happening. Um. I like to talk about the issue of the label virgin and virginity. It's not really a thing. I like to talk about that. And I have a thing in my next book about that, that it's really just a construct to further, you know, keep women in their place or keep them as property and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, gosh, there's so many things to say. I just, I appreciate that that people's discomfort with human bodies and with people have, have inherited most people, you know, the people that have been, that created the purity culture and that perpetuate it. It's, it's been a part of what they were immersed in. And so I want to be compassionate about why people think such horrifically underinformed things about sexuality and human bodies. And I think that the church gives most people very negative perspectives on bodies and mm. whatever thing it is that a body yours, you know, wants and desires. And so there's a lot of negativity on just normal, natural human urges or desires. Um, you know, and so even going back to your comment about like an oversex or a very highly sex, whatever you want to say, like horny, you know, man wanting to have sex with another man. Like I, I think it's really fascinating that we want to judge at all. Yeah. And, and so I, that's a good point. I think that we could, you know, I mean, I responded to that woman, the young woman influencer, Christian influencer who like went off about masturbation as like satanic and all this stuff. And I'm like, she strikes me as someone who could use an orgasm, you know, like, and <laughs> probably never had one. You know what yeah, I mean? And that's it's really it's really sad. Hey, um, yeah. I think so. Here's the thing. You know, there were a lot of things very freeing for me when I stopped needing to attend to what Scripture told me. Um, I changed my, you know, I changed my outfit, my attire for my boyfriend, you know, so I wouldn't cause him to stumble. Like, that's just, it's, I, yeah, yeah. I understand that thinking. And I also am glad I'm not there anymore. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I, know. I eat a lot, I eat a lot of um, junk food so that I don't cause my wife to stumble. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want her, you know, I don't want to, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. I used to, we used to live, have a roommate who was like ripped like a Greek God. He'd go to the gym twice a day and stuff. Yeah, he'd yeah. walk around, he'd walk around the house in like these, um, in his, like, <laughs> shirt, shirt off in with his like, his like, uh, lycra or whatever. And I'm like, come on, man. I'm like, you're making me look like an asshole. Like you just, you walk around like a Greek God. I'm sitting here with like a bowl of ice cream, trying to watch a South Park or a movie or something. Right, right. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Causing your wife to uh, stumble. Yeah, yeah. I was like, "Stop!" You're causing me to stumble. I'm <laughs> <sexual> and <you're> <laughs> <causing> me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, 
I have a few questions uh, that I'd like to throw at you. And the first okay. one is a question that I just, and I, I always end with a, a couple of deep questions, um, but this okay. is one I just thought up. Okay. How do you resonate with Marcion? Do I resonate with no. Marcion? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, or, or, or how do you resonate with him? Do you like him? Do you like his idea that he kind of, he, uh, he kind of rejected the cruelty of the Old Testament God and believed in, and yeah. But what are your thoughts on Marcion? I like his his chutzpah. What's that? Chutzpah. Um, uh, his his uh, willingness to do his own thing. Okay. And his ability to say no to that. I like that. And I like, mm. um, I respect that. Uh, you know, Marcion was a whole bunch of things. He wasn't just this guy who said no to the Old Testament God. Um, you know, but, but I like, huh, it's very complicated for me to be honest. Um, okay. Because, I don't know much about him. Okay. Well, and here's the thing when you, when you throw out just metaphorical speaking, you know, the Hebrew Bible or whatever, you're also, you're also saying something about the people that do use that collection as their scriptures. Mm. So even if he's not trying to be anti-Judaic, uh, yeah, yeah, that yeah, is yeah, also yeah, anti-Judaic. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, yeah. And do I personally uphold the the Hebrew Bible God? No, and nor do most Jews that I know. <laughs> mm, yeah. Right, and uh, even if they're not, even if they're devout, they don't actually uphold all of the that they don't endorse all of the descriptions attributed to God because many of them are pretty harsh. There are mm. also some pretty harsh descriptions of God, depictions of God in the Newer Testament. It's just that most people don't see it that way, or they read right past it, or and I think. You know, I have a I have a video, um, the depiction of God in both testaments. Like God is loving and cruel in both. And that's important to me. Um, that people grasp that. So yeah. Marcion also didn't have a problem with a lot of Paul's letters, and I do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's my short response so, to your question. Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a good response. Um yeah, that's that's great. Um, and uh, of course, I have to ask you just briefly. Okay. Um, what are your thoughts on slavery? We have a panel coming up, <laughs> and uh, what are your thoughts on slavery, yeah. guys? Just so you you're aware, this is the dream team, like <laughs> panelists. Like, um, we are, we're going to. I'm going to be creating these videos, like I said, that are going to be kind of trolls to the um to the. The to the trollers be, yeah to the trollers uh so we have dr um you know we we just have look just go look at this panel like it's just it's just wild like that we have so many i won't read out all everyone's credentials or anything but it's just crazy that we've got all these guys together um all you guys to come on um and talk about this because it'll be to me it's going to be the one-stop shop it's going to be like we're going to we're, we're, we're very formalized aren't we we've got we've got mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. we've got i've got nine pages of notes from apologists <laughs> Um, and everyone's putting in like we're going to be creating a bibliography so people can go and do further reading um, into like scholarly resources. Mm -hmm. You'll be talking about the New Testament and early Christianity mm -hmm. um, and slavery. Mm -hmm. uh, so what are your thoughts? Can you give everyone a teaser on um, slavery in the New Testament? You know, what's what was fascinating to me was to like realize some of the ways that just general things that Paul says very casually often refers to followers as slaves of Christ, slaves of God, which 
our translations cover over, so I wasn't aware of that. Um, mm -hmm. I, there were some things for me just learning about reading um, some of my my colleagues, some of their scholarship on slavery and the rhetoric of slavery and how common that is in the New Testament writings. Um, observing that Jesus refers to enslaved peoples in some of his parables, and he doesn't problematize it. He just assumes that we have slaves going on in these stories and their realities are being held up to emulate. Like, what? This is way too complicated. Like, this makes me very uncomfortable. Um, hmm. The topic of slavery in the Newer Testament, much less in early Christianity, is way more complex than most people realize, way more than I did before I started reading this. So it's actually, I'm really excited to get to share some of the, like, try to pull together and succinct kind of, you know, bullet points for everyone. Mm. There's more going on here than just slaves obey your masters that happens three times in the Newer Testament, which is problematic enough, right? Mm. There's more going on than we realize. So I'm excited. It's going to be really good. And I love that you use, you, so you use the word Old Testament and Newer Testament. I use Hebrew Bible and Newer oh, okay. Testament. Newer yeah. Testament. Is the Book of Mormon, the Newest Testament. <laughs> Which Book of Mormon? Because you know they have an updated. They have an update every year. Ah, I didn't. I didn't. Not I didn't know year. that they. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that um, there is a Book of Mormon, but they have constant like updates. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, and guys, make sure tomorrow you check out. Um, mm. I'm just laughing because I just know that Dr. Kip and I are gonna. This, it's gonna this, have a good time. Uh, Oh, the, the whiskey is going to be flowing. And, you know, look at that an Iron Maiden shirt. The very first question. Kip, Kip, if you're still here, I want you to start thinking about this. What are your top five favorite metal bands? Because I, I need to talk to you about this. Um, <laughs> and that's how we'll start off the um, podcast. So check this out tomorrow. It'll be um, live as always. Um, so uh, I've got a couple more quick questions. Um, this one is, is from Ken Ham and the Bill Nye debate. This is the one question that that seeing how Bill Nye handled it and Ken handled ham handled it changed my book. Maybe go, hang on mm -hmm. a second, which was what if, what if anything would change your mind? And I guess because, um, well, you're, you're a Christian scholar, but I guess we can talk about, I guess, and we haven't talked about this much, but your actual belief in God. So what if anything would change your mind on your belief in God? Well, I have changed my mind about my belief in God over the, over the years. Right. So I, okay. I had a very fundamentalist conservative evangelical way of thinking about that, that that was very closely tied to my upbringing in the church. Um, but I had a very similar, like, what does the, I'm like, what is that? Um, I had a, that's really funny. I had a, a very biblical impression, right? Mm -hmm. The way a very transactional God is there. I can, say, I'm sorry to God, God will forgive me, all things are great, and I can talk to God all day and seek God and be open to ideas. And And then I went to seminary and I started thinking, learning about other ways of thinking about what God is, but all still very human and they very anthropomorphic claims and concepts and attributes and that this is a that this is a relationship, which implies give and take, which implies intentionality on the part of God to me or towards us in general. And I, most of that is just out the window for me. Like most of that mm. is just not there anymore. Um, intentionality, like, no, <laughs> sorry, no. Okay. Um, God's will. I just, I, I've been trying not to drop too many 
too much language here because but i i do like like oh fuck no like no god's <laughs> yeah, will no. no please stop yeah right? i hate Who, the concept of god's will right according yeah. to whom like who's you know and just so the best the closest i come if i'm going to claim a concept of god uh, the closest i would come is to a very very progressive process theology concept because and i say okay. progressive process because a lot of process theology is still giving God a little bit of intention mm. or mm -hmm. relationality. And I, I'm, I'm just not there anymore. And so, you know, mm. I go more towards this, I don't know, energy and actually, actually it's, it's Butler. It's um, Octavia Butler. She, Octavia. she describes God about the best that I've seen. And she describes okay. it as as what change change okay interesting interesting that is if you go read her two pair her two parable novels she she talks about it there and that is the closest i've seen a human try to describe and 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 put words to what is god interesting yeah they're good reads they're quick easy but also really meaty do you um, Octavia Butler, what are the books called? Do you remember the Parable called? of the Sower and Parable of the I get them confused. The what there's yeah, Sower and And par Parable of the Tenants? Talents? Talents, yes, that's it. Yes. Okay, cool. So Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents. Yeah. Um Yeah. So uh She was amazing and anyway so that's the closest i come sorry back to you what you were saying something else i just i'm like uh, no, i no, just that's, can't that's... say enough like i love that she tried to put it into a novel yeah. form and to have like a conversation about what it means and looks like but mm. i mean look around you look at nature what is the one yeah. constant thing about nature that it is growing and changing it constantly yeah. changes and it is fierce and intense and mm. you know what i mean like there's just but there's there's not there's not harsh intentions. It just happens and it goes and it grows and it, and mm. it keeps going. And mm. I don't know. Have you heard about, you know, I know that you're not a huge fan of Sam Harris and we'll, we'll we can I mean, I like it. I like his ideas. I just don't like his, his snark. sassiness. Yeah. yeah, his yeah snark snark and his disrespectfulness of people yeah. that aren't, that don't think the way he does. Which is funny. Cause he's like a, he's like a milk toast version of Richard Dawkins. Um, but Agreed. or someone like that, Yeah. but, um, he talks about this, like this, um, I, I can't remember which book, book it was. Maybe it was waking up. Um, but in, he talks about like someone having like a, a, a type of an epileptic fit where they needed to cut their brain in half mm. to, to cut the synapses in half. So there was like the one part of the brain and the other part mm. of the brain. So they weren't connected anymore. Mm. Huge fatality risk in this, but it was the only thing that they could do. But what they found, what was, what was super interesting in people who have this surgery is they can answer with two, do you know about this? They can answer mm -mm. differently. Mm -mm. So they can verbalize an answer and then point to a yes or a no or spell it out with their hand and it'll give different answers because one side of the brain is Has the analytical moving part and one part of the brain is, and they ask them stuff like, who do you, who should be the next president and all this stuff? And they ask them, do you believe in God? They point to no and then say yes. Uh -huh. And and it's it's wild. That's wild. That's to really me. cool. <laughs> and and um yeah, it's really wild to me. And so there's always a part of me because uh that you know um I, I can kind of almost get on board with concepts like 
like that like i like i'm pretty i'm an agnostic atheist i don't believe in god i think that the way that we we should arrive at the ideas and our ideas i think the best way is through rational thought and critical thinking and all that stuff and i just for me i just haven't gotten had enough evidence to relay my doubts about the existence of a creator however in saying that like if we were having an ayahuasca conversation or smoking a joint in the backyard or something or around a fire, the, the concept, like getting into that artful headspace where you can think of God as like change, or you can think of God as like, um, uh, I like the, the, the Buddhist analogy of like blind men touching an elephant and, mm -hmm. and they're all describing this elephant differently. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of can resonate a little bit with that. Like, it's like, like, there's something there. I don't think that's, it's like morality. I don't think it actually exists, but people are describing this thing in a way that seems to have certain characteristics about it. Uh, I've heard this, another analogy. It's like, it's like um, Western religions, like Christianity, like the Abrahamic religions, it's like they're, they're, they're climbing up to God, right? So it's like, it's like a, I'm, it's like I'm needing to turn to Jesus or pray five times a day. They, they're climbing up to God where Eastern religions are like, looking inwards so it's like looking inwards to yourself right. and it's like right. a different yep. yeah yeah so I, the, the, yeah it could be something to that but i don't i don't put any i don't personally put any weight to any of that i, I just, you know i, I what's yeah and i think the external god is out there above us beyond us beyond our comprehension that i very much do not like that conception of okay god. i find that very frustrating <laughs> and it has led to a lot of um, de-intellectual realities and just sheep-like okay, yeah. behaviors. Like, like the deist perspective almost. Do you not like the deist perspective of God? Mm, like It isn't that I don't like it, but I find just, that more appropriate than saying that God is out there and God's ways are beyond ours. Because that makes me want to yeah. say, fuck you. Because yeah. no. Um <laughs> I do like, you know, it's also the same thing like with, you know, that God is outside of us and we need God. I'm like, no, guess what? Actually, God is already within you if you're going to talk about a God. Like it's already there for you to tap into as compared to yeah. this, this, you are scum and crap and you need God and Jesus. Like that just, yeah. I, I had a year of stepping in as an associate pastor at a Presbyterian church. And so I did the call to the call to confession and the assurance mm -hmm. of pardon for a year. And that was what did it for me. I was like. No, oh. I do not want to keep telling people they are sinful pieces of shit that need <laughs> this thing. No, yeah. I'm done with that. Like, no, because it because it's language is powerful. Yeah, the, there's that folk Greville um, poem um, from the 16th century. I think it was in the at the start of it's a Christian poem, I think, but it's it was at the start of God is not great by Christopher Hitchens, mm. and he said it's um oh we're some condition of humanity um. But, uh, anyway, the the main part is, um, oh, we're some condition of oh, we're some condition of an, of humanity, created sick, commanded to be sound, and it's like the idea that we're born sinners, and but we're commanded to be sound through Jesus, and it's like there's something uh, brutal about that, you know, harsh, um, and it kind Cruel, of paints this really, yeah, it paints God to be like a mafia boss or something, totally, and, yeah, yeah. There are a lot of things. I, I, mm -hmm. No, no, say so. That's, I mean, there's just so many things about the depiction of God. Yeah. That that I that I see a lot of atheists reacting to, and so that's part of why I have this thing about. I think we need to redefine God, mm. uh, or 
just be very clear that when you say that you're an atheist, what you actually are saying to me is you don't believe in that thing that people are talking about over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's sound. I I think that's respectable, like respectable and reasonable. I I like to, I actually like to defend God on this channel. So like (laughs) I say, I say like, you're telling me that the, that the, that God wanted people to enslave other people, that he genocided other nations. And I'm saying, stop teasing God. It's not okay. Right. Like the creator of the universe wouldn't do that. (laughs) <laughs> if one did exist, it's, it's funny. I throw it on his head. Um, we have a super chat from Cheryl again. Check oh, out Miss uh, Doctor oh, Bird's Cheryl, uh, podcast. You are such a love. <laughs> it's excellent. I'll have to check it out. I haven't Please listened do. to it yet. It's, we are. Um, it... Let me briefly just explain. Wild Olive is um, our tagline is game changing conversation about literature, culture, and the Bible. And so I've teamed up with a literature professor. Her name is Jean Patrol. She lives in Chicago, Illinois. And she, or Eviston, but she she does, she teaches the Bible as literature. And that's how she found out about my book, Permission Granted, blah, blah, blah. So I'm coming as a biblical scholar. She's coming as a literature scholar. We engage primarily poetry because it's easier to do, but we engage poets and, and novelists, uh, authors who have engaged a concept from the Bible. And we use that as a way to help to have a conversation about the fact that there's more than one way to read anything in the Bible, but in particular, these really crucial moments that Lot's wife, like there's a really powerful way of reading that story that's different from the one I was given. Right. And so we have a conversation about that and we talk about, you know, lots of things related to the Bible, but also beyond that into culture and the way biblical tropes or biblical ideas end up in lots of places in our world beyond just religious contexts. And so I think there's mm. something interesting to, to observe there. And we, we're trying to keep it around 30 minutes, a 30 minute podcast episode. So yeah, that's, that's much more reasonable than what I'm. Putting well, it's about. a different thing. Yeah. We want. Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. So, so listen, thank you, Cheryl. <laughs> thank you for that plug. Uh, uh, and the last question. Um, thank you. First of all, thank you so much for coming on. Um, and I'll just once again shout out, go check out the podcast, the book, the book, please go. If you read, if you listen to this audio book, it's good for Christians, definitely. But it's also good for atheists or agnostics to, to read and get a different perspective on some of these troublesome verses. Um, it's uh, go, go read it, go give it, a, go give it an honest rating. I'm sure you're going to love it. Um, and, uh, and obviously check out, uh, Dr. Bird's, um, uh, YouTube page here. Uh, so la- the last question, um, oh, and just last thing to, I'm not very good at this advertising stuff. I'm sorry, That's- but, um, straight after this, um, probably 15 minutes after I end this, we're making a live stream an unlisted private live stream on, um, deep drinks, Patreon page. So if you are a Patreon supporter, I've seen we've got a few more Patreon supporters since we started this live stream. Thank nice. you so much. You can come come over and you can watch it. And um, for those who, I don't imagine many people will come. Um, but if you do, but you'll be able to watch it later if you decide if you decide to join later and see how I create, um, come up with my questions and do how I do the research for the stuff and kind of a behind the scenes hang out for um, deep drinks. So um, the last question: um, What advice would you give to a Christian who feels conflicted with what they read in the Bible? Yeah, yeah. I think read I read your book. I w- well, I would say that actually, but but I would say the things that helped me survive seminary. And so that's these two things. These two convictions got me through seminary. The first mm-hmm. is I believed that God created us. And that means God created us with the brains, the minds that we have. So I believe then that it is okay to use your mind in particular 
in pursuits related to your faith as compared to not, you know, like stop asking questions, right? No, actually mm. that is honoring to God. If you believe God created you, it is honoring to God that you would use your mind even here. So that's mm -hmm. one thing that, that I think is important. The other is if God and the Bible cannot handle your questions, then I'm not sure they deserve your devotion. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's that's a good quote. That's a great quote. I'm very <laughs> excited to to learn more and read your newest book. How long away is it? It's a think? few months away. Yeah, I just yeah. handed over the manuscript and it takes a few months to kind of pull everything together. So unfortunately, yeah. but um, it'll be out in November. But that's awesome. Our we have a release date of mid-November at the latest. So Awesome. Well, I'm going to have to get a signed copy of that as well because I'm just, I love your work so far. <laughs> thank you, David. Thank you, I appreciate thank that. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Um, I'll, and thank you for coming on. And guys, make sure you check out the panel that's coming up. Jennifer yes. is going to be amazing on that as well as everyone else. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. See ya. Bye.